Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Before we jump into today's show, I want to take a quick break, hit up the sponsors that make the show possible, and we'll be right back. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. You've heard me talk about the opportunity in urgent care. So VetCheck believes in the power of your capacity to influence your patients, patient families, and be a leader in your community. How they do this is by giving you the freedom to take ownership of your future to make the biggest impact in your patients' lives. They equip you with a turnkey opportunity to take action on the dream through a unique pathway to owning your own VetCheck Pet Urgent Care Center franchise. They provide a solution to remove obstacles like competing against corporate dollars in the community that you want to be in and having access to hospital ownership, medical directorship, and more. Also, you become a partner along the journey. A vet check pet urgent care center franchise is the answer. If you're interested, check out episode number 80, where I talked to Dr. Siva and he shares more about his story and the opportunity. So if this sounds like something that's interesting to you, reach out and learn how you can own your own vet check pet urgent care center franchise today by visiting vetcheckforpets.com, which again is vetcheckforpets.com. All right. So in this episode, I am joined by Dr. Michael Walker, who is a small animal veterinarian and a practice owner of a clinic called Apollo Veterinary in Wimberley, Texas, which is just north of Austin. And from my understanding in our Southwest. So I know nothing about Texas. We're leaving this in here. So it's um, okay. It's on the outside of Austin. It's It's on the outside of Austin. But what I do know and what I was going to try to drop with this expert knowledge that I have is it's one of the fastest growing zip codes in the country, right? Am I correct there? All right. I got something. I'm I'm 50%. (laughs) Mike graduated from Texas A&M, worked in his associate veterinarian right out of school and had a kind of a failed secession plan, which helped him lead to strike out on his own and do a startup de novo clinic. Mike launched Apollo last fall, and I wanted to bring him on to get into the weeds a little bit about what life's looked like the past 12 to 18 months, his vision, what brought it to life, and some other just thoughts and opinions on the industry. So, Mike, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, of course. No, yeah, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on here and an avid listener and avid client, too. I mean, it's an all-around honor. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And for those listening, you're going to probably laugh at the end of this conversation because Mike's like, I don't know if I have anything to talk about. I'm like, yeah, I think we'll have some good stuff to talk about. So um, first, I want to kind of set the stage. So you graduate from Texas A&M. And what did professional life look like that? So you graduate, you're kind of figuring out what's next steps to where we're at today. Let's do kind of a high level overview to kind of set the stage for what life has looked like. Well, I think honestly, we start like first day of vet school too. I literally thought that everyone went to vet school to become practice owners. Day one, I was sitting in my seat and I know my friend who works in Austin, Lindsay, I sat down with her and I was like, okay, so wow, like everyone wants to be a practice owner here. And uh, she was like, what? What do you mean? And I was like, we graduate, we open practices, right? And she's like, no, I just want to be an associate and stuff and do the thing. I was like, oh, okay. That's completely just foreign to me. And so it's always kind of been in my mindset to all right, how do we further progress my career or 
career around us. And yeah, I graduated knowing that my goal has always been three to five years post-graduation to own a clinic. And I was in a spot where I had a really, really good mentor all through undergrad and vet school. You own a very successful practice in downtown Austin. And I went in there and it was kind of under the assumption that I would take it over one day. Of course, this was like, honestly, this wasn't even that far ago. I graduated 2017 and we were still paper only there. It was a handshake deal. I had no contract whatsoever, which in hindsight was probably good and bad for both of us. But, you know, I think it's kind of the tale as old as time is, you know, you're kind of promised one thing and you start working and seeing that maybe that's not actually coming to fruition. And I kind of quickly saw that after about a couple of years there that I think there's a dead end place for me. And I started looking at opportunities to uh, further my goals and get into business ownership. Really, When you think about the relationship in general, what do you think was the part that really helped you to where you're at today? Because you talked about it was a good relationship, even though it maybe didn't work out the way you thought it was. What did you learn from the owner or skills or did they let you kind of grow to where you wouldn't be where you're at today without that experience? Because myself, I always use the experience when I was at Merrill Lynch for three years and then I started my own thing that, yes, I learned a lot. I had someone that I respected, but if I didn't have that experience, I might have not done my own thing because it helped me and I did learn a lot. So is there anything that sticks out that you're like, these were the things I learned. This was the good relationship. This is what helped kind of propel me forward. Yeah. And honestly, like as weird as this sounds, it he really taught me like, you don't have to be the best veterinarian in the world. You really don't. It is all about relationships with your colleagues and with your clients. And the funny thing about being vet school, I was a good student, but I would much rather go play intramurals or go hang out with friends than worry and try to get straight A's and stuff. And I think that served well in learning with those guys that they built that whole practice on building the relationships and really not worrying about how much money can we squeeze out of these clients? More of how do I foster a relationship that we can carry on for 30 or 40 years? And he, his name, Dr. Greg, he was a great guy. And he'd walk into the room, shake a hand, go, how the hell are you doing? And he had clients truly know him for 40 years. I still run into clients in and around of the Austin area that know him and have stories back in the 70s. And, and really it taught me like, you can know everything in the book. You can know that textbook back and forth. But if you can't relay that in a way that's meaningful and impactful and shows the value to the client, you're going to be a dead end veterinarian, unfortunately. And that has served me really well in the sense of fostering relationships with everyone from financiers to associate veterinarians that I hope to partner with one day. And so it kind of got into this is a people business, not really an animal business in the end. That has served me very well. I'm very thankful for that. Yeah. So Apollo. When did that kind of pop into your mind as like, this is what I'm going to do from the beginning kind of initial seedling of an idea to doors open? How long did that take you? Oh, man, that took about 18 months. My original plan was actually to buy a clinic. And so I left that initial place that I worked at after vet school, went to another clinic, and I was going to kind of partner with some people there and just realized things weren't working out that way. And I started looking at just the prices of some of these clinics that were for sale. And it was just ungodly what they wanted for and how much work it would have taken and, and really trying to shift the whole mindset of a staff that's already ingrained in a way for 30, 40 years. And it, it just didn't make sense to me. So I literally started calling vendors and was like, all right, how much does it cost to start a clinic? What are the equipment I need? What's the pharmaceuticals that I need? And before I knew it, in about like seven to 14 days, I had some money from the bank and just started running with it. And really what I 
kind of came down to is like, okay, we have an issue. This was kind of the start of COVID. I actually formed my PLC the month before COVID hit and was like, okay, how can we do stuff differently? What can we take from all the clinics that are doing things really well and things that are not going well in our industry? And how can we create a space that A, benefits the clients, but also benefits our staff? And a lot of that is just using cool technology, but honestly, using technology to get back to that personal interaction relationship with the clients. Because more often than not, I kept hearing, well, it's, I just feel like I'm coming in and out, like I'm just a number to the clinic as far as the perspective from the client. And so I just started kind of questioning things. And one thing led to another and Apollo Vet was born. And I chose Apollo actually, because it was the name of my grandfather. He was a serial entrepreneur, actually went to high school in Austin. And my dad was born and raised in Oklahoma City, where they relocated. And I named my border collie after him. And that border collie, he's still my dog. And I got him right before vet school and he's been my rock. And I just really wanted something that meant a lot to me. Could We could brand around it and then honestly extrapolate and copy it out. And it wasn't tied to a certain location. So it's just questions that led to answers that led to more questions and talking with people. And, and that's how it all came to fruition. Yeah. So just kind of being inquisitive and, and saying, okay, I know because I've worked in vet med, all right, structurally kind of, I need these things to make it work. So let's go talk and see. I want to get into kind of how you started exploring vendor relationships and how you made some selections, if you're willing to share that. But I think one of the things that I always laugh about when I'll read these articles and bear with me for a second, it's retire early at 35 and like this person's story. And they came from like all this money. And so I can imagine this person being like, oh, well, so Mike, did you save up for this? Did you have like a huge inheritance? Like, how did you get all this done? I know you talked about, so you had bank financing, but how did you do all this? Because I know that we've talked, right? And I know it wasn't like you yeah, just had, sure. you know, a truckload of for money sure. that came with you to make this happen. So I want to encourage some people as well that you don't have to come from that situation, but so many different times on either podcasts or articles, you read something and it's like, oh, well, the fact that they had all this money as well. They didn't have to pay for X, Y, and Z, or they were given this awesome opportunity. Now, again, everyone's fortunate, but I know that you've worked for where you're at, but just kind of spell that out. So you did get bank financing. No, you know, I'm very candid. I mean, I literally graduated from Texas A&M with, I think it was like $1,237 in my bank account. And I had just received the dermatology award for fourth year and they gave me two grand and I spent like a good 800 of that going on a little trip right after graduation. <laughs> so <laughs> I show up and I'm like, all right, day one, let's grind a little bit. And we've talked about this before, but I was in a very big Dave Ramsey camp. I want to get rid of my debt as fast as possible. I graduated with about $144,000 in debt and I was like, okay, let's start hammering this down. I need to get this down to zero. Then I need to build you know, it up to get my practice goals. And I started working two jobs, actually. So I worked my full-time job, and then I started working at the vaccine clinic on the weekend and stuff. And please keep in mind, there are really right things I did and really wrong things I did. And I really was working about six to seven days a week for a good amount of time. But honestly, what really just shifted my mindset is I signed up for this consultation with a CPA that focuses on student loans. I was like, okay, how do I get these student loans down to where I want so I can achieve my goal? And it was actually a really huge mind shift change for me. And it's honestly a lot about what we have talked about and what you've helped me with is he sat down with me and was like, all right, well, what are your career goals? I was like, I want to be a business owner in three to five years. He was like, cool. What's the debt you have? I was like this, and I'm paying down this. I'm putting like three, four, five grand a month at this. And he was like, stop. And I was like, 
excuse me? But I have to, I have six figures of debt. What do you mean? He was like, no, like it doesn't matter. You need to rethink your view on money. So right now, debt is cheap and you need to think about what's going to help you get financing down the road in that timeline you want. And so he really shifted my mindset to say, okay, I can still work these two jobs, but instead of throwing this money away at my student debt to pay it down where I'm going to get maybe a 3% return on it, what do I need in the bank's mind? So he was like, usually banks want to see liquidity. And so I started just saving and saving and saving. I switched jobs after that first couple of years to a more 24-7 GP where my commission checks became bigger and bigger and bigger. And I was able to save in a few years about close to like seventy five dollars to $80,000. And that was the magic number that I needed to get financing. But it took a lot of hard work and it took a lot of sacrifices in my personal life too. Yeah. But yeah, it was, I got no money from any trust fund. And my parents are very, very nice. I'm sure they would have helped me if I asked. But for me, this is something that I'm very, very proud of and I'm very independent with. And it was really important I do it the right way. And yeah, like I said, it was a lot of hard work and I made some tough sacrifices during it. But ultimately, I started asking questions and getting the right people around me in life to help me get those goals. And I don't like the term lucky. I think you have to be prepared and then you see opportunities come along and you grab them. And then that's how that quote unquote luck happens. You know, that's kind of how I've always lived and worked towards in my life. And it's worked out in some things and not in others. And you live and learn. Yeah. And I appreciate you again, being as candid and open as you are. And I, to the audience before this, I'm always like, Hey, Mike, I'm going to ask you a lot of different questions you can ignore. We can answer, we can edit stuff out. So I really, really appreciate that. And I think there's a quote it's basically like the harder I work, the luckier I get. And I think that's one thing that has always stuck with me, which is very similar to what you just said. And mm-hmm. at times you can just be like so obsessed with, oh, you know, have to do more, have to do more. And it's like, look how far you've come at times. And I'm sure you've sat back even with Apollo with, you know, it's still early on in the business, but there's been a lot of really cool things that you've achieved. You can be like, wow, I did not think I'd get here. But yeah, I mean, you talked about it. There's a lot of sacrifices that were made and things that go on there, but what aspect of the kind of technology, the processes, did you look at and say, I want to change this or I need to find vendors or folks to build something that is different? Because you obviously came from a successful, established clinic prior that was doing things the right way, right? Like they've grown for a reason, which is the relationship piece, but they weren't maybe efficient or had other issues. But I'd love to kind of get into that idea of how you thought about trying to bring the technology. Because I love the term that you talked about technology enabling more personal relationships and then being able to relay the knowledge that you have and the expertise that you have because you're DVM back to people talking to people and not trying to talk over them and be like, Hey, listen to me because I am a doctor and you don't know anything, right? Like not speaking down to someone. For sure. And it kind of goes back to like, what are the common frustrations that we have in the clinic and the industry? And for me, I absolutely hate the, and I don't hate the people there, but I hate our front desk concept. And in the veterinary world, you have this huge bank of five to six people with phones ringing off the hook, people walking in, they're saying, okay, I'll be with you in a second. Let me put this person on hold or let me talk to this person while that person's just awkwardly standing in the lobby. And that was the first thing that I hammered out. I was like, how can we do this differently? And again, like none of my ideas are original at all. It was talking to people in our industry, Cody Creelman, me and him talked a lot before both of us opened this past year, learning, you know, spitballing ideas. 
And that was the first thing that I was like, let's get rid of it. So at Apollo Vet, what we've done is we've taken our whole reception offsite. And really, it goes back to when you come into our clinic, as a client, I want you to feel like it's kind of all about you. Yes, of course, it should be an unsaid rule that we love your pet and we're going to treat that as best as possible. But I want to get back to where, how can I focus on you as a client? And part of that is that front first experience and for that matter, the last experience as you leave. So what we have is we have this like high end client concierge. So you walk in there at like a stand desk right there. That's the only thing there. It's not this permanent stand in the middle or monolithic type reception. They come out, they greet the owner. We have latte machine, we have beer and wine, and we have sparkling water that will get you into a room, make sure everything's coordinated on that end. And just their whole responsibility is focusing on that client when they come in. So that completely changed the way that we interact. And also the perk of not having the phones just completely ring off the hook. So our stress level during the day is so much lower. The dogs are so much more relaxed because we don't have phones ringing off our hook. And so that was just a huge step in a direction I felt like we need to go as an industry, trying to refigure that front desk. And then for me too, it's creating kind of, I hate to say a show, but showing what we do in the back end for the client. We do so many cool things as far as the laboratory machines, the ultrasounds, the radiology, the surgery, all the equipment, all the expertise of our nurses are hidden in this quote unquote, treatment room that people's dogs can take them back to. So what I wanted to do is just kind of blow the lid off that and say, if you want to come back with your dog, you are always allowed in the back. So honestly, we have people come and watch surgery. They watch dentals on their dogs. And some people cringe at that thinking of like worst case scenarios that can happen. But, you know, of course, one day there's going to be something that happens and we have kind of contingencies in place right now and fail safes, but it has really like created this amazing interaction with the client that says, Hey, look, I'm going to like fast can your dog here with the ultrasound that hooks up to my iPad. That we can do out at your car or in the back exam room, utilize this really cool newer technology instead of lugging this huge machine around. And they absolutely love it. And the cool thing that's kind of happened is there's really no fighting over money because they actually see all the back end stuff. I cannot tell you how many clients observe our prep for surgery or watch a surgery through our window. And they go, I had no idea that this is what was involved in a neuter or a spay or a dental procedure. And really with that, once they get the bill, they're like, yeah, I get it. Okay, sounds good. This is cheap, (laughs) you know? And so that has been a huge part of it. And then kind of rounding it off is using practice management. I know you had Shepard on a while ago and, and going to those management systems where it helps us put the data back into the client's hands. I absolutely hate the idea that you go to a vet clinic, you spend hundreds upon hundreds of dollars and you leave and you really have like no idea what happened there. You have no like proof. You have an invoice maybe, right? But you go to another clinic or you go to a specialist and it's like pulling teeth to get records. I think first and foremost, like you should have your data and your pet's data. So every visit that you get here, we have a detailed report that gets sent to them that includes all the vitals, all the physical exam findings, all of our differentials, all of our lab work, and then our plan coming out. And really what we've utilized is really cool practice management software that helps us template all of those things. So it's very easy on our end, but it's extremely beautiful to the client to get that report and say like, hey, this is always in my phone. I don't need to call. I can forward it to the next vet clinic or the specialist when we need to. And so that was a big thing. How do we create that convenience and that really cool experience utilizing this technology with our clients. 
So I loved what you talked about early on of making the concierge piece and making it from the experience to be different, because I think it was Peter Weinstein that talked about veterinary medicine when I interviewed him is still a service industry. You're competing for dollars and cents that people are going to spend somewhere else. So it's a service industry. Can you make the service memorable and great? And you've done that, which is awesome. You talked about outsourcing the front desk. Can you share how you did that or who is doing that and the experience you've had? Yeah. Yeah, no, we use, I like to tell people we're an international vet clinic because our team is based up in Canada. It's virtual vet solutions. And it's an amazing thing. Now, keep in mind, every way you slice this, be it the reception up front to the offsite, it's going to have its own headaches, right? But the cool thing about this, it is not a call center. It's not someplace overseas filled with 100 people that we get a random person each time. We have Emma, Chelsea, Crystal, Kirk, and then Brianna, and then we just added another one. Um, I forgot the name. They're all amazing, and we get them the same day. So there's not a rotating group of receptionists that we don't know who it is. And so they sit there. Every phone call that comes into Apollo Vet gets rerouted to them. They answer, and they say, hey, this is Emma from Apollo Vet. How can I help you? Using our cloud-based software, they have full access, full credentials into our practice management software. They can schedule, get estimates authorized refills. We utilize Slack as an internal messaging. So we're pinging back and forth all day, talking to them just like they're in the next room. And like I said, it doesn't have its own headaches. Do people gripe a little bit? Yeah, but it's a lot less than the clinics that I used to work at where they griped because they got put on hold for 15 minutes Mm -hmm. uh, reception in the building. So that has been like such an eye-opening thing to me. Who knows if I'll continue on as we expand with them, but I will never, ever put a reception up front. Maybe we'll have a back-end office or maybe I have my own employees working from their bed in the home. So we can do all of this remotely now. Mm-hmm. The technology is absolutely amazing, but it just changes the whole feel and interaction of the clinic. So yeah, they have been absolutely amazing. And then I know that you were thinking PIMS maybe making a switch are you with the same company and are you willing to share that or should I not ask this question? <laughs> I know there's a lot of questions. Um, yes. <laughs> Here's the thing. It's like practice management software. It's honestly, you have to pick like the best of the worst a little bit. I hate to say that right now. And they're all like every month where everybody's getting a little bit better. And I think we'll be there one day and everybody's needs is so different. Like for me, my needs is I need my clients to be able to book 24 seven online. I need them to be able to text message to us and I need us to easily text back to them. I need to be able to share data in a really pretty way with them and then make it extremely user-friendly for my staff because it can't be bottlenecked at my staff for efficiencies. So we currently, we were one of kind of the earlier ones with Rhapsody Bed. And again, everything's had its hiccups a little bit. And right now I've demoed probably 10 different ones in the past four months. And right now we're sticking with them because everyone kind of does their own thing. But for me, Rhapsody right now does everything that I need it to for my clients. It's a little bit frustrating sometimes on my nurses, but they are actively getting better. I will say that about them. But yeah, that's practice management would be its own. I mean, it is its own podcast. Yeah, have, you've done it. Before. Yeah, I've <laughs> talked to I've talked to Shepard. I've talked to Kim Fish, who helped develop and build out Rhapsody, and obviously know a little bit about a handful of them. But that to me is one of those vendor relationships that it's going to be a pain in the rear to ever change. And you have to be really strategic when you make the decision that you're going to use it because your team can complain and push back. But if you say, hey, this is what we're using and we're going to move forward with it, that's super important. So, yeah, it's one of those that's a big decision, but you also don't want to be the person that is changing every so often. And people are like, "Okay, you got to stop. Like, Mike, can you stop changing? We can't do this anymore. You're killing us. And I kind of realized that, too, after a while, because I was telling all the team, all right, we're demoing 
I heard the complaints go up because I think they thought Rhapsody was over. It's not that uh, bad anymore. Right now, right now, everyone's kind of getting used to it. It has a learning curve like everything else. But what it does for the client, the ability just for us to shoot quick text. So the other thing with me, it's very important. I really just like the way sometimes in our industry where you drop your pet off for surgery, right? And then three, four o'clock rolls around and people are calling like, hey, when is pickup? What's going on? That's a problem on our end. So, you know, with our practice management software, we're able to, whenever we pre-med our protocols, it's the, the client gets a text saying, hey, we pre-medded, we're headed to the surgery. Someone will call you when we're headed or someone will let you know when we're going to recovery. When I turn off that ISO, they send a text saying, hey, we're going into recovery. We'll call you once Fluffy is fully awake. And then my surgery technician calls that person at the time. So they're getting multiple touches throughout the day knowing where they're dog is which is extremely important to me and the clients really appreciate it but yeah communication is key and that's really why i like rhapsody they do a very very good job at communication and the reports for the clients are beautiful awesome i appreciate you sharing that again as always this is why i wanted to go and i said at the beginning we're going to go in the weeds a little bit so i'm going to ask more in-depth questions i do know you a little bit so it's easier to kind of pull some of these things out we're like hmm, i wonder if he'll let me let me ask about that so it's super helpful what was the most challenging part of the de novo process and let, maybe we've already talked about it. Is there anything else that stands out that you're like, hey, this was a really tricky part or something that I spent a lot of time thinking about? Yeah, it was kind of the identity of the practice and who I wanted to be as the boss, I guess you could say. I've worked with employers where we're just completely hands off. We had a staff meeting once a month to employers where the standard of teaching was yelling and getting everybody grouped and calling people out, which doesn't work and stuff. So for me, it was like, okay, how can I be a good employee? How can we do things for my staff that is different? Or how can we start setting those up and creating the identity of the clinic? And I guess that kind of goes to the culture of the clinic too. And really my thought process has always been, if we make this a different environment for the staff, make it fun, the clients are going to see that too. And we'd have a lot of fun on our social media. My rule of thumb is if I'm a little iffy, if I should post it, I post it. That's kind of my rule. <laughs> we have an, a lot of really good engagement that way. And so, yeah, it was kind of turning into like, what does Apollo Vet want to be? And how can we make it to where we foster that culture? And then we're able to scale that out too. Because you don't want to make something that's solely dependent on yourself if you want to create a good business model to get out. But yeah, and going back to the open concept, that was actually never really like, the plan from the get-go, that literally kind of came up the week that we started. We opened, and during COVID, half of our supplies didn't even come. We didn't have a surgery table. We didn't have kennels. I didn't have an anesthesia machine my first week, anything like that. I was freaking out. But I still wanted to show off this building. We renovated a 40-year-old auto body shop into a beautiful back clinic with glass completely down the front to where you could sit in your car and look into surgery all the way. And so I turned and I was like, I want to show people all this beautiful facility off and bring them in the back and show it. And then it just kind of turned into this, hey, you're always welcome back. And then word of mouth got out. And then we just ran with it. And it's been a huge huge part of our business now. People are now transferring over because they keep hearing that they're allowed to be with their pet, which is so important, especially after a year and a half of COVID where clients didn't even get to see the vet. They had to sit in their car. So the fact that you can come in and look in the microscope and see what I'm looking at is revolutionary, which every clinic does what we're doing, but we just want to show it in a little bit different way. So kind of finding that identity was the biggest thing for me. Yeah. It took months and yeah, we're very excited where it's headed though. Awesome. I want to unpack. There's a couple different things there that I want to, to get into. First, 
your team, how did you attract them? Again, right now it's super competitive to find people. I know that you're also growing, which is fantastic. And we'll kind of touch on that a little bit later as well. But how did you find the team and how did you convince them to say, hey, come join the startup, right? Because I think that's tricky, right? It was really, really tricky. A, first and foremost, it's really tricky if you don't have a good plan and a budget too and stuff. And so that's where I found Jamie O'Kane, who I found through you actually. And we really sat down. She's an amazing CPA that's niched this veterinary industry beautifully. And having a good game plan before you talk to these people about what you can offer is, is huge and stuff. But ultimately, as a DeNovo clinic, like I can't match what people across the street are doing or down the road or in Austin. And so for me, I kind of got a presence on social media as far as what I was posting, the values that we were doing on Instagram and Facebook, and then worked really, really closely with my website company about making a true careers page of really, instead of just saying apply for a vet tech job, really went down. If you go to our website, I have sections that go into like what's expected of you, what you're going to expect of us, what do we vision this role, and really kind of show through that text what the culture is going to be. And so when I started making posts about hiring, I didn't have to do any Indeed or ZipRecruiter or anything like that. We got a lot of organic straight through the website, through our social media. And then I was very lucky to have some people follow me from some other jobs that kind of believed in what we're doing. And that's really how it's grown. We get very thankful every week. We get multiple applications for nurses and concierge that I have to turn them away right now which I'm very thankful because I know a lot in the industry aren't doing that. But a lot of that is like, I'm going to showcase you when you get here too. And some people cringe at being on video and stuff, but ultimately it shows the culture in the back end because people are used to these really dingy vet clinics that aren't fun, that are toxic. And for me, we have fun. We blast music all day. We practice really cool medicine. We work really hard. Some days are slow. Some days are really, really busy. And we kind of showcase it all. And that's really, really helped with our recruiting too. Yeah, that's incredible. Did you have kind of a larger business plan? So you talked about like the partner in Jamie and I agree. Jamie's great, which is why I've had her on the podcast. And when I first met her, I'm like, yeah, you do really good stuff. So enjoy working and partnering with her, but also like encouraging people to chat with her because I think she does a great job. But did you have like the master business plan laid out early on or did it kind of come together in pieces as you built out kind of the team and different people along the way? No, actually, like from the get go, I knew even in vet school, I was like, okay, I, I want to start a clinic. I want to work really hard at creating systems and processes so we can scale this out. My kind of mission has turned into, I, I want to provide avenues for ownership for associate veterinarians or veterinarians out there that maybe don't want to dip the toe fully into practice ownership, or maybe they don't have the finances or the credit score to do it themselves. And ultimately, it's always been, I would love to have a multi-location practice under the Apollo Vet brand. And so making key decisions now for the long three to five to 10 year timeline has kind of been where I'm at. But that's also where you partner with people like you and Jamie and get on that long-term mindset and make decisions now that are going to help you, you know, 12, 18, 72 months down the road has been very, very beneficial. And so, yeah, that's kind of what we're morphed, not morphed into. It's always been the plan, but we're finding some really, really good people to do that now. Yep. And I think if you start with the end in mind, it really, really helps if you know and have clarity of what you're trying to do. And there's no wrong way to do your business, right? If you say, hey, I want to be the best veterinarian in my small hometown, that's awesome. If you want to grow into something bigger in the same way that when I left, again, I'll use my example. When I left Merrill, I wanted to grow into a business that had a team that could grow and scale. and could be 
something that you talked about, not being dependent on me. I will always use the joke. If I got hit by the pickle truck, there's a great team behind me that will pick up the flag and keep running that knows who you are, might not have the personal relationship, right? But could still pick up the pieces and it's not like it's just gone and where everything lives and dies with whatever Isaiah says. I didn't want it to be that way. And I think you said the exact same thing, which makes sense. You want a business that is a saleable, but also a business that is truly a business and not kind of what's called like a lifestyle position where it is all about you. And that systems and processes, like the choices they make with technology, how does that scale? The choices of how much capital you're going to keep and how much you're going to reinvest and what are you going to pay yourself? And like all these things are all going to come through with how are you building that for the future? So if you could start with the end in mind, like you did, it's extremely helpful, extremely helpful to have that clarity. And that was a big reason for me to like lean heavily on cloud-based because if we go to multi-location practices, I can have one person running inventory of every clinic just by pulling a report in 10 minutes in their home. That's amazing to me. And then ordering that way. Yeah, those are kind of the routes that we're going with that. But yeah, what's been amazing to me, though, in the past 12 to 18 months is realizing like there's no really rules. There really isn't. Like you can do whatever you want. And I get really irked at people that just are so stuck in the past and don't want to change. And so with what we're trying to do, it's not like, here's my business plan. I'm going to own 50, you own 50. Cool. Let's move on. Like, that's it. That's how we stand out. It's really dependent on the people. Like if you want to be a true, like heavy equity business owner, then there's ways to do that. If you just want to be a medical director and build a team and that's it, there's ways to do that too. People don't understand how many options or specifically as a veterinarian you have and how many things that you have available that you don't even know. We've talked about this a ton. It's just, you go through vet school, all you really hear is how tough practice is, how tough the field is, how low you get paid, how much debt you have. And it's extremely discouraging there. And I just want to say like, oh, that's completely BS. Yes, of course you have debt, but would you say the lifetime value of a bet, if you just got your 3% annual raise, you know, what is it? Four or five, six million dollars. Yeah. It's somewhere between probably like four and a half and five and a half, depending. Like if you're an associate and again, it's going to depend on you get paid, what kind of practice, but yeah, like that's a healthy amount. But if I could tell you like, Hey, Isaiah, like bet a hundred thousand dollars, $120,000 and you'll get 6 million out of it in a good like 20 years time span. That's a great bet too. And that's just doing associateship, right? We can 10, 100x that potentially if you want to get into ownership and how big you want to take it, which is extremely exciting to me. And it's kind of morphed my opinion into like, I kind of thought I was just going to be doing this all on my own and be the sole owner of all these clinics. And that now I'm kind of at this point, that doesn't sound too fun to me. <laughs> you yeah. know, I want to find people that have that same vision and we all like ascend together, essentially. I think you can... You can go alone really fast, but if you have a really good team, like the sky's the limit. Going back just to a couple of things you talked about, you talked about like mission and values. And I've stressed this with different folks before when they're starting a clinic or buying a clinic. Like, hey, do you have roles and responsibilities? Do you have it written out? How many people don't have a written job description or understand what the heck they're held accountable to in vet med is wild? Not just from the veterinarian standpoint, but just like the entire team. And the fact that you've done that upon the website and getting inbound, I want to stress that again for everyone listening that's struggling to find help. Mike, you're turning away people that want to work with you today because you don't have job openings. Correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. I I just want to, I know I'm being a little bit of a jerk to people listening, but like, that's also really interesting to understand that. And so do you have like a missions, vision, value, like type of sheet that you give out or talk to 
in oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We actually just implemented a really cool training program called Trainual online. And so it's all video. I'm like a very big video guy. And the first Trainual you see is a how Apollo Bet came to fruition, you know, the story behind it, what I wanted to do, and then the pillars in our philosophy. So we're transparency, curiosity, communication, and fun. Going back to what you just said, communication is the root of probably 99% of the problems in the world. Like it doesn't even matter bet net. I mean, probably 100% in that net, <laughs> but communication between me and my nurse, like every time I'm feeling myself get upset at a nurse that they didn't do something, I have to sit there and be like, did they even know that they were supposed to do that? Or the client that's calling that's mad that their dog is limping. Did I not communicate well that that's a side effect or is that a potential complication or it may not get better? All of that is communication. And that's where this technology really, really helps. I had a client the other day. She's Her dog's going through chemotherapy for a really high-grade mass. And she just could not get in touch with chemo radiologists and stuff. And she called and left a message and I got out of, I was like in and out of surgery. And I just shot her quick text messages through Rhapsody. It's like, Hey, you need to do this, this, and this. And she talked to me the next day. She's like, I cannot thank you how easy it was just to get a quick answer from you that way. Cause our average phone calls are like six to eight minutes or so anyway, you slice it. And so I actually had someone complain about this the other day that we over communicated with them, which is the greatest, greatest yeah. complaint that I could get, you know, but that goes back to like, from the staff, when you're hired, like, this is your job expectation. And if I'm sitting here getting mad at you for doing something that you didn't know, that's on me, not on you. So that's a huge thing we always talk about. But, and then it goes back to the transparency, like transparency with our building, with how we let the clients in, with how I make business decisions, how we train, how we bring on new team members. Everyone kind of has a view into my mind of how I'm doing things. and I get their feedback too. So when you come in here, I'm going to show you, this is my plan for you. And you can ask every one of my employees, like we've stuck to it, you know, with promotions and raises and roles. And I don't see why there's any reason to stop it. Yep. I love that. So again, thank you for sharing. I like actually the idea of the video and the philosophy of kind of where you came from. That might be something that I swipe, which I think you've probably heard me talk in this podcast before. Like I'm like, Hey, for Vincere, we just hired someone and we talk about different things and we're trying to build out a lot of things that we call like our second brain, basically a notion of just things we read, all this good information. So as we grow the team and all their experiences, we're just trying to like compile that. And every time we hire someone, the next person is gonna have a much better experience than the person before that because we're like building out the better experience. So I'm just thinking like, oh, videos that Josh and I could do about the history of different things. I love that idea. So that is gonna be part of what we do. You watch four or five videos in a row and the program's really cool because they have to go in chronological order and I can see if they do them or not. And it talks about everything from how I started to what we want to achieve with the client interaction for philosophies. It breaks down each philosophy one-on-one and kind of goes into depth. These are quick, like one to two minute videos. You don't have to sit there and bore them for hours and stuff. But then now we've extrapolated that into our more specific training for a client concierge. Like I literally have a video on how to pick up the phone and check voicemails from the night and stuff. Because the worst thing, and maybe this is a multi-industry problem, but some person trains some person then keeps on training that person. And it's like telephone. And next thing you know, you're like, where did this rule come from? I constantly am talking to my technicians. They're like, oh, you need to change this every week. And I'm like, well, why? They're like, well, that's how we did it here. And I'm like, well, okay, cool. Maybe that's right. Maybe that's wrong. But why? We need to ask that question why way more because <laughs> we kind of accept things that probably shouldn't be accepted. So 
yeah, that's kind of how we've been morphed into. And we've actually leaned a lot on stuff that we've learned in COVID, like QR codes. Like if you come around our clinic, you'll see QR codes everywhere. I spent like one Saturday just literally filming myself doing every task from putting patients into the digital x-ray to connecting this machine to running blood. And if I have a technician or a new person that's like, hey, I don't remember how to do this. I'm like, QR code right on the machine. And they pull up. It's a one minute video. And that's kind of revolutionized how we've trained. I love that. Such a good idea. Such a good idea. Yeah, it was like a restaurant. I was like, oh, why don't we do this? Like, this is, everyone else is doing it. <laughs> so, yeah, this is going to be like the, I feel like there's more there than I want to pull on, but I'm not sure. I'm going to go into marketing because you talked about that earlier. You brought it up about how if you weren't quite sure or you were like, maybe I shouldn't post this, you post it. I think the one that I saw that really made me think and laugh of like, oh, that's really good for Mike was the one at the like, you were like a auto dealer or whatever with the puppies <laughs> with the headset. Yes. And it was really good. And so then I started oh, looking and digging God. and I was like, all right, I'm going to look at this. So you have a really good Google reviews. So there's 41, you have 627 Instagram followers. And this are all numbers I just pulled like today or yesterday. You've had fun with it. As you talked about, you've been authentically you. And I've always told people, even at Vincere and anyone else that I've ever given advice, if you can be authentically you and just be you, it's really hard to compete. If you're trying to be someone else, if I'm trying to be Mike, that is going to come across maybe weird at times. So we're not the same person where if you can say, okay, yeah, culture, vision, we're going to do that. But if you can implement it in your own style, that you can't match. And so tell me what's worked, what hasn't. And then also talk about your scheduling a little bit and maybe some wins with just being a little bit different and unique. I think the year leading up to us opening, probably the podcast that I listened to the most and the books I read the most were marketing and branding because our generation coming up is so important. Like, yes, the bet who you're seeing is important, but they also want to see like the business as a whole. Are they a good brand? Are they a good culture? And how you do that is through your marketing, right? And so do I gain a lot of clients through Facebook and Instagram? Yeah, I do like on our ads that we run and stuff, but really it's just a brand relation ambassador for us. And so I lean a lot on my staff and videos. Like if you look at our insights on Facebook and Instagram, my picture of the puppies do horrible compared to my pictures of my staff and the videos of my staff and interactions with them because people really want to see what goes on behind the scenes. We do really cool stuff. We don't think it's cool. It's just our everyday job. But showcasing that has really changed the way that our clients have remained loyal to us and how we keep building it. And we have so many ones that get shared with other people, then they come into the clinic because their friend shared it with us. And like this is the vet that did that. But yeah, going back to that puppy, I, I was watching actually Instagram going through reels or whatever one time. And there was one, it was like a spoof on a car salesman or something. And I was like, I just want to find a litter of puppies where I can do this. And three months later, Pat, she had all those labs. She's a good client of mine. And at the end of the exam, we just did all vaccines on everybody. I was like, Miss Pat, are you cool if we make a video together? And she was like, well, what kind of video? I was like, I'm not even going to tell you. All I need you to do is when I like reach for a puppy, you just keep handing it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how that video came. One take. And then we just said, yep, let's just post it. And it's been one of our best ones on that. But yeah, we showcase some puppies that are like four by four machines. So that's kind of a fun one. It'll be but. linked. I'll let people see it. It's good. But I think, <laughs> was it the one with the Hellcat video where the guy like is over the top? The Dodge like? Uh... Yes, I think okay. so. All right. Because I know I know what you're talking about now. And that is really funny. Yeah. I was uh, like, that's hilarious. How do I do that? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And then going back to that marketing. And then it goes back to the beginning. Like, how can we do things that are a little bit different? And so with her scheduling... I sat there and I was like, okay, I, I kind of live in a small town. I know we're right outside of Austin, but it's a small town. It's a very competitive market with some 
really, really established clinics. And around Austin, it really turned into this thing. It's like, wow, everybody's just open on Saturdays. And then the ERs are the only thing left. And I don't know how it is in other cities, but our ERs have an eight to 12 hour wait in each one of them. And so I started thinking a little bit and I was like, yeah, it's going to kind of suck to work six days a week and every Saturday and stuff. And all my friends usually go and have fun on Saturday or I see my family there and Sunday's kind of a rest day or whatever. And I was like, why do I have to be open on Saturday? And it was just turning this like, again, going back to that, that was just the way everything is done. So I was like, okay, everybody else can have Saturday. We're going to have like 30 clinics open in a 20 mile radius on Saturday. We're going to open on Sunday. And so a, my next decision was how early do I want to get up on Sunday? <laughs> so I decided, I was like, let's make it a 9 a.m. start. We've actually since pushed it back this past week to 10 a.m. But yeah, we're open 9 to 1. We're now 10 to 2 on Sundays. And it's turned out to be one of our best days. You know, we've, since the week we open, are fully booked every single Sunday because we're the only GP option available. It kind of turns into a fun little pseudo urgent care, which I actually personally love. Yeah, it's been a great kind of differentiator. And we have a ton of clients move to us just because we were available that day. So my thing is, if you create a cool business, a cool culture, a beautiful building, you make it presentable. If you can just get the people in the door, you're already going to stand out. So that was kind of my philosophy. If I can just get people into my door and treat them well, then they're going to be my clients. And it's a little sad. And I sometimes hesitate to say this, but sometimes the bar is just like smiling and interacting nicely at a client. They're like, oh, it's always like so depressing when I go to my other vet clinic. Like, I hate that that's maybe like the bar for our industry right now. And I think our generation is going to be getting a little bit better at that. But if you're just a really decent person that you show true empathy and you see it from their perspective, then clients are going to pick up on that. But you have to be genuine about it. You can't be fake, right? I always tell my staff, like, look, guys, this may be our 15th diarrhea case and maybe blow out bloody, but this is the first of that client's year. And that's why they're freaking out. That's why they're anxious and they want to get in today. Like, we need to figure this out, strategically plan our day. We have blocks throughout the schedule for same day six because a huge problem in our area is nobody can get into a bet. You know, it's a three week wait time. And so what we do is, of course, we have the availability to book throughout the day, but there are some hard and fast rules that we have every couple hours that can only get filled that day and we fill them all the time and then online booking has been amazing too but yeah that's how we kind of differentiate ourselves and it's really worked out well anything else marketing wise that you feel like is a good thing to share or think through success story maybe something that hasn't worked that you tried and it was like that was such a waste of money don't do that well i bought an iphone 12 and then completely smashed it so then i had to buy a nice camera and that's actually been totally worth it so actually kind of spend some money. And you know who I learned that from was Adam Greenbaum with Whisper Cloud. I listen to him. He does my website and everything. And, and Brandon Bashirs. I don't know if you know him. He does the veterinary marketing podcast. I listen to them. They're like, all right, what would I do if I were a clinic opening? He's like, I'd run this ads. I'd get this equipment. I'd show off this stuff. And I like just literally listened to them and did what they said. But yeah, I think the biggest thing for me, the struggle as we got busier is trying to post consistently. So we're kind of exploring some technologies to kind of automate all that stuff. And then eventually it'll get not pawned off, but it'll be another person's responsibility. But it has been good. I would say like the things that fall flat are like graphics. Like here's this month's thing. I mean, that's what everybody posts. And that's the quickest thing that you swipe by personally and what the clients do. So the thing about me is like, all right, how can I catch that person's eye? I don't necessarily need to make them all educational, but I need them to show off like how Apollo Vet is to them and how their pets are going to be treated. And that's kind of what we do. That's pretty well. Yep. I love that. 
So I want to give you just kind of space to chat on anything, whether it's industry, whether it's specifically startup stuff, things that you want others to understand, want to know, just things that are kind of on your mind and on your heart that you feel like is important to share. Yeah. The biggest thing for me is it's maybe geared towards younger vets or soon to be graduates and just really be astute to the negative beliefs that are out there. There are going to be a lot of naysayers. There are going to be a lot of associates that have been out for 10 to 15 years that will try to like put down the ideas that you have. You have no idea how truly valuable you are. I know how valuable you are. You'll find out eventually, <laughs> but the options to you are so endless and it's such a good market to be a veterinarian right now, be it an owner or an associate. So the biggest thing that I can recommend is just ask questions. You would be amazed at how much wealth of knowledge is out there if you just ask. When I was starting this whole thing, there was no book on how to start a vet clinic. There's so many options as far as the vendor contracts you have to go through. And what do I start with day one as far as my pharmaceuticals and everything, all the supplies I have on hand. And I just would stress for months and months about it. And then I just reached out to my buddies in Austin that own vet clinics. I was like, hey, can I go buy you some beer? Like, And we sat down and we would talk like once a month and over happy hour, we'd call them on the phone and be like, hey, what'd you do in this contract? And just kind of cherry pick what they did that was successes and failures. And it was just completely invaluable and saved me thousands upon thousands of dollars about not making the wrong decisions. But they weren't going to give that to me, but they were very happy if I just asked. And so don't be afraid just to ask, but do it with a smile, right? <laughs> you know, there's right and wrong ways to do stuff. And so you'll be amazed at the network that you can create if you just open up, ask people about themselves, ask them their story. And really the biggest thing that I probably learned and I read it every single year is Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I mean, it sounds like a manipulative book, but it's actually not. It is all about how do you connect with people and what are the right and ethical ways to do it. And that book really just revolutionized the way that I interact with people. And it's really helped me propel my career to where it is, because if you truly show that you care and want to learn from people, they will just open up the world to you. And so that would be my recommendation. Yeah, I completely, completely agree is like there are relationships and things that if you have time, you can always ask and do that stuff. But then in the future, pay it forward when the next person comes around. And I feel like probably similar to you too, like you do right now when I ask you to come on the podcast, like I don't have anything to talk about. Right. But you do like you have a lot of things that you've learned that you can pay forward. And it's been fun to have this conversation. And I look at it like in my career to be able to like share with people coming up or people that we hire, like how to do things and learn from mistakes that I made, things that I wish I wouldn't have done and things that maybe will work for them, but didn't work for me. Right. Like I have a very different style of doing things where similar to you, I'm like, I'm going to be transparent and some people are going to like that and I'll be super blunt and other people are going to be like, I don't like that at all or they love it. So it's up to them, but the power of relationships and not being afraid to connect on the on a relational level and not try to like, you know, just give me something and then just be gone. But to like genuinely actually try to build connections is valuable. It's very valuable. The way I look at it, whenever I meet a new vet at a conference, it's like, let's get to know you. Who knows what's going to happen with us in five to six years? You know, we may become partners and stuff, but I think if you just get to know them first and see what their values are, but honestly, it comes down to like, you just need to sit down and figure out what you want in life and stuff. And so for me, it's like, I knew I wanted to work really hard and start this business. There are so many people that are like, Hey, you're doing this a little too fast. Like 
you need to slow down. I'm like, look, <laughs> that's maybe your perspective. But for me, like I'm doing this right now for my future family. Like I want to set myself up. And maybe this is because I'm a product of like the 08 recession where I saw so many family and friends, parents at retirement age lose everything. Maybe that has some PTSD on me, but I'd rather work really hard and make really strategic moves to set myself up in the future to where that isn't a problem that I have to deal with. And if we can bring others along that ride, then we're all going to be better for it. So that's kind of been a huge driver for me. Yeah, I love it. I know we're getting close to time and I don't want to keep you forever. You've listened to this podcast. So you know that I always ask guests that they can always ask me questions. So you can ask anything. And I didn't pre-prompt you to think about it, but is there anything that you would want to ask or float to chat on? It can be related or completely unrelated. You've probably heard different episodes that I've been asked all kinds of weird, odd, fun questions, but then more straightforward ones. Yeah. For me, it would go to like, what would you tell the young veterinarian or the soon-to-be graduate? What would you tell them how to view their student debt and in the relation of how they want to do their career, just change the negativity off of that. How can you strategize that? What are some things that you can shift that mindset to where you look at it as an asset instead of just a crazy liability you want to get rid of? Yeah, I've talked about this a little bit at times, but it's always good to come back to. So for those that have already heard me like blab on this, they can just kind of tune out and wait a second until we come back to something else that's more exciting. But it's an investment in your skill set. And going back to what we just talked about, how many millions of dollars is your earning potential over time? And also you talked about it when you're at Texas A&M, you thought everyone could be a practice owner. And there's so many other opportunities within veterinary medicine. And there's a client and I wish I could like, tell you exactly every single thing about her and how she's changed, but she does not work in clinical medicine. She's making far, far, far more and loves her job and has equity now in a business. And it's all because of her veterinary skill set, but she's not doing clinical medicine, but she loves her job and is being able to do the things that she wanted to do and still make an impact on the industry. That's amazing, but she doesn't do anything clinically anymore. And so you don't have to think of it as it, you can only do clinical medicine. So I think that's first, and you kind of hit on that as well, but it is a investment in yourself. It's a skill set that is then going to then pay you out over a series of years. And I think the biggest issue is the sustainability piece. I think going back to all the negativity, everyone's like, oh, well, you know, it's so negative and all this other stuff and have all the student loan debt and it just beats you over the face like over and over and over and over and over and over about how negative it is. It's like, no, I don't think you understand what some associates are getting paid. People getting $150,000 signing bonuses, $450,000 over four or five years, cars. If you go back to the Stacey Purcell episode, and I cannot remember, I don't memorize the numbers. I need to like look these up as I'm talking. But the most recent one with Stacey in 2022, she talked about some of the wild things just from an associate. And that doesn't even get into the equity piece on the business owner side where, hey, if you have a $1.2 million revenue vet clinic today, you are an acquisition target and you can go get, if it's well run, right? 8 million bucks. $10 million, that's life-changing money. You can get that before you're 40. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's pretty incredible. And oh, yep. by the way, you sell it and you can get equity into that consolidator. So now you own a couple million dollars in all these different vet clinics. So like, to me, the student loan piece, the simple answer is who knows what the federal government's going to do when, when they turn it back on. But my advice, unless it is really obtainable and easy to do where you can refine, you have ample cash flow stretch that baby out as long as you can. Inflation's the highest it's been in 40 years. It is a monthly expense. Let that run and let that fixed payment become less and less impactful as your income continues to grow and grow. We're in a really weird spot in the world right now. Just all kinds of different things going on. I would much rather have 
investment assets or savings or things where I'm in a much better spot than trying to get super aggressive paying down debt. I think the optionality is going to be much more important over this next decade. People know my thoughts on where they should put some money. And I'm not even going to say the word because I'm not, I'm not even going there. But that's going to be well, much more important. Behind you. Yeah. <laughs> Too bad we don't have video, right, for this. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, well, but, you know, and I would actually love to hear, like, from what you've seen and all the professionals you've talked to, from CPAs to consolidators to PIMS managers and stuff, what would you do? What would your roadmap be if Isaiah Douglas was starting a Beck clinic? Like your timeline and what you would aim for with what you see the current market is. So you just have now asked two questions. You're, I can't ever <laughs> have you back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's great. I would go back to the Aaron Greenbaum or Adam, sorry, not Aaron, mm -hmm. Adam. We kind of played that game with him on the episode I did with him and it was fantastic. But I would do probably something very, very similar to what he did, which is I would spend money on marketing because I, most clinics don't spend any money on marketing and they have very limited personality. I would showcase personality. I would try to grow to multi-location. I would roll it up, sell it, and then go either try to acquire rural practices and kind of roll them up or do startups. I think urgent care makes way more sense than other things. I know it might be intellectually boring. And I've heard that from a lot of your peers like, Urgent care would just be boring, but I've also heard from other people, it's like, it's kind of great because I don't have to continue to see fluffies, dandruff, skin issues for 10 years, and I can just kind of run through and be really, really efficient. And I've mentioned a couple of times, like the urgent care model that I've seen is the most high margin revenue business that I've seen of any vet clinic out there. And so from the conversations that I've had is it's really hard to recruit. So you have to be different. You have to be creative. You have to be candid. I think you should be unafraid to just go do your own thing. And I would spend money on marketing because if you can do the best doctor and do the best stuff, but if no one knows you're there, it doesn't make a difference. And I, part of it is just my personality where, and this sounds strange, but you and I are wired very similarly. And so a lot of what I would do would be a lot of what you've done, which is, you know, shocker why I wanted to kind of share your story, which is not going to be what everyone wants to do because not everyone wants to grind for years because delayed gratification sucks and everyone understands that. But what you're trying to build is similar to what I think Vincere will eventually be in the wealth management space is like, there's things that we want to do. We want to hire good people. We want to make it attractive. We've never had issues hiring and it's the same difficulty level there, finding good advisors and good people and good team members. We don't post jobs. I proactively reach out to people and we have conversations and it's not really a job interview. It's more of like, what do you want? Are you happy? And people are like, no, I'm not happy because of this and that. And I'm like, well, would you want to do it this way? And they're like, yeah. And so like, let's talk about this. And you want to come work for us? Okay, sure. And it can take a couple months and it can take time. But I mean, we just hired someone in Salt Lake City and Jen is amazing. Like she's so good at what she was doing, but she was getting moved into a role she didn't want to do. And the company that she worked with is VC backed and they were starting to push more stuff that she didn't believe in. So it's pretty easy. We're right time, right place. I reached out to her on LinkedIn. I'm like, hey, would you want to connect and maybe see if you want to work here? But what I would do just real quick would be spend money on marketing, be authentic and creative and be really, really focused on the service element, which again, I know is basically what you've talked about tonight. So what I would do is say, hey, what Mike has done in Texas, take that to wherever I'm at and it can work in a rural community. It can work in a more urban setting. You don't have to spend the same amount of dollars. You don't do the same amount of things, but you can do a creative model anywhere and be successful. And I know Reese, who was on the podcast a while back up in British Columbia, he's like, yeah, you could put two consolidators next to us and we do stuff differently. I'm not worried about it just because of the way that they operate. And I think that's a true testament is if you're doing something different. So it's a really long winded answer of saying you just got to be different and really adjust the way that the model works and try to build the relationship because like you said, it's a service business, build a relationship and you'll do completely fine. But 
this is not an insult. If you have any skill set as a doctor and an owner, you should be able to open up anywhere and be successful because there's so much darn demand right now. Again, that sounds like really insulting in a way, and it should not be insulting, but it's hard to screw up and not be successful and go make some money in vet med right now as an owner. If you have any semblance of an idea. And that's where like you can build partners and have people around you where you don't have to do everything. I think that's where a lot of people get scared is, oh my gosh, I don't know. I don't know everything. And we have partners that we work on the Vinzier side where I have to have outsource stuff where I have people that help support us for what we do. No one knows everything. I think as you get older, you realize no one knows everything. Yeah, I know. And going back to like everybody having difficulties finding vets and stuff, like we are six months in and we just got under contract our third veterinarian to start the summer and stuff. And we are the lowest offer that she had of all of the offers she got in Austin. Why did she say yes then? Because of the opportunity that we have. Interesting. Like I told her flat out, I was like, this is what I'm trying to build. This is the opportunity that you would have here. Um, you know, it really comes down to what are your goals? She loves teaching. She loves the idea of being a medical director, running her own clinic, but maybe not even like an equity position. So, hey, like this is the roadmap we're going through. This is what I said I was going to do and kind of my follow through to this point. You have the ability to be a part of it from kind of the ground up and she signed on the dotted line and I couldn't be happier about That's it. That's awesome. So, Congrats. Yeah, thank you. But it goes back to, you don't have to like offer everything. You just have to be different and show that you truly care and figure out what they truly want. Yeah. And I would go back to actually with us and hiring, we are not paying top dollar. We can't same way that you can't afford to necessarily pay at the absolute top, but it is why you're here and what's the opportunity moving forward. And this could be actually much better for you for these reasons. And mm-hmm. people are like, yeah, I like that. And they buy into the narrative. Telling sure. stories is like the oldest thing that's ever been around in, in human creation. So if you can tell good stories, and again, going back to being authentic, you're not doing this to twist and deceive and lie. You're telling the story because it is true and this is what you're working towards and you want people to come along and help and see them succeed. So I think that's where it's really important that if you're going to twist things and lie, that's not okay. You can be really good at that aspect of telling the story, but not be authentic and then screw people over. And that is horrible. And that oh, is yeah. not what I want someone to do right away. For yep. sure. So as we wrap up, again, two questions. It's the first time ever. So that's a first of the podcast. So congrats. <laughs> the first one is too redundant. It's fine. No, no, no you're fine. Sorry. Right. It's a good question because well, it no, is. No, no, I thought of it like right when you're saying that. I was like, I want to, because Adam Greenbaum's done it. I was like, I'm going to know yours too. Yeah. Again, you said something earlier and I promise I'm going to do my last question that it wasn't anything that was like this new idea, right? You're putting together different pieces that have been established. I think new fully, I've never thought out this idea before is very rare. It's more of taking all these combination of ideas. And a lot of times it's outside of the industry that you're in and then bringing the inside and then you can recreate that and it changes everything. So you don't have to build this whole new model. What you can do is say, I like this and this and this outside of vet med or outside of wealth management or outside of my coffee shop. And I'm going to bring it inside and you can drastically change things. And people are like, wow, this experience is amazing. Yeah. And you don't have to recreate the wheel. You're just taking it from other places. So for people to follow you, I'll put it in the show notes, like your website, Instagram, I'll put the specific video we talked about. How do they reach out if they're like, hey, I want to be a part of what you're doing. I'm in Texas. I want to talk because I'm doing a startup in Des Moines, Iowa. Will you chat with me? Like, yeah. Are you open to connecting with people? How should they reach out to you? Yeah, what reach out like on Instagram. It's Walker, or you can reach out to my email. My personal email is mdwalkerdbm at gmail.com. Put that in the notes. And yeah, like as you've hopefully seen, I'm an open book. I will tell you all the really right things and the really wrong things I've done. And, you know, everyone says trial by fire and learn from your mistakes, but please learn from other people's mistakes too. That's very valuable. So <laughs> yeah, anytime you reach out. 
thank you for not having anything to talk about. We talked for an over an hour. So <laughs> just, just throwing it out there. <laughs> it's been really, really cool to see what you're doing and getting to know you. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing. I really, really appreciate it. I know a lot of listeners will appreciate what you shared. Awesome. Thanks, Isaiah. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review that'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.